Good morning. Um, I hope you're doing well, um, especially for those that are here for the first time. Um, warm welcome, indeed. So a bit of intro about myself um, for those that I haven't met before. Um, my name is Ansley, and I am one of the leaders here at the Chapel of Sydney. And I am married to my beautiful wife, Eileen. With a 0.3 baby on the way. But I guess if you run it down, it's actually zero. <laughs> but one coming soon. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure to stand here um, to speak about God's Word. And I pray as we engage in God's Word that um, the Holy Spirit will help us to open our hearts, um, to move in our hearts, to live more like Jesus and love more like Jesus each day. Amen. So we're heading to Christmas with a few weeks, you know, to go. So Arlene and I were browsing in a shopping center um, last weekend. We were looking for gifts for family and friends. And while we were browsing, I started to hear a few Christmas carols started to be played over the speakers. The likes of Joy to the World, Jingle Bell, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, not Hark the Herald Angels Sing, by the way, Andy. I guess, we won't be so, I guess we won't be singing this song anytime soon. <laughs> I'm joking, we love you. And then another one came up, and it's Silent Night, one of the most famous and loved Christmas carols. I haven't heard it in a while, I haven't sang it in a while, so I thought, hmm, I wonder where did that carol came from? So I looked into it, and I, you know, this is what I've learned. So the words of Silent Night were initially written as a poem by a young um, Austrian Catholic priest called Joseph Moore in 1816. So Moore wrote this poem at a time where Austria was left devastated by the Napoleonic Wars in the region. The country was marked by poverty, disease, famine, and trauma as a result of the wars. So witnessing this, Moore wrote this poem um, to convey a message of peace. And the message was this, that there is still a God who cared at a time in a place where peace was so hard to come by. And the poem was turned into a song that we sing today, two years later in 1818. And it was sung for the first time on Christmas Eve that year in Moore's church in Salzburg in Austria. So the building that you see on the screen here is actually not the original building. Uh, because the original building had to be knocked down due to severe damage over the years. But what you, what you see here is um, the memorial chapel that was built in remembrance of the origin of this great carol. And it still exists today in Salzburg. So Silent Nights provided a message of peace for the people of Austria at a time where people were searching for peace. Now, as you can see, this carol and its message of peace traveled far, far beyond just Austria. So let's fast forward 100 years later. You may have come across something called the Christmas Truce of 1914. Yep. So World War I was ravaging at the time, and unfortunately not, as, not dissimilar to what is happening in the world today. And so late on Christmas Eve on 1914, in the cold, dreary weather, you know, some British and uh, German soldiers, which were obviously on opposing sides in the war, they decided to lay down their weapons 
they emerged from the trenches and they started to sing Silent Nights together among other Christmas carols. Now, certain, certain sections of the trenches came together to, for a temporary truce and ceasefire. And, la- and this lasted on to the next day, on Christmas Day, in remembrance of peace, but also in search for peace at a time of chaos, pain, and suffering. The timeless message behind Silent Nights provided peace in the middle of a war, even though it was just temporary. Now, I don't think it is too far-fetched for me to say we are all searching for peace. We are all seeking for peace. We all long for peace in one form or another. You know, whether it is peace in our hearts because of our circumstances or for peace among the world, just like that Christmas Eve in 1914. And Pastor James, you know, kick-started our four-week uh, series on the Advent season last weekend with a message of hope. The birth, and that is, you know, the birth of Jesus is the hope that we need. Because without this hope, this world is the best that will ever be for us. And today, I want to add on to um, this narrative to talk about peace. So I want to split this message into two sections. Um, the first section, or the first question is, what is biblical peace? And how does the birth of Jesus fit in it? And the second question, and the second section is, how do we obtain the peace of God that the, the Bible talks about? All right, so the first part. You know, even if you don't know much about the Christian faith, you may have heard about the Christian, oh, sorry, the creation story in the book of Genesis in the Bible. You know, in the beginning, God created the world in six days, including Adam and Eve. God said his creation was good, not once, but six times. And on the seventh time, God said it was very good. The Garden of Eden was a good place. At the time, peace was the living reality. It was designed by God for Adam and Eve to be with God. We were meant to be with God. We were meant to be at peace. The world was meant to be at peace. Peace was the intended reality between us and God before it was lost due to the sin through Adam and Eve. And from that point onwards, humanity was separated from, from God. Now, understanding biblical peace as the completeness, as the whole, wholeness, and as the total welfare when Adam and Eve were with God, you know, helps us to understand why the world we live in today is the way it is, broken and void of peace. There is a disconnection that needs to be reconnected. So in Isaiah um, chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. One of the titles that this passage mentions is the, the title, Prince of Peace. And for any avoidance of doubt, if you were still wondering, uh, this child is Jesus Christ. The title, the title of Prince of Peace is actually a very powerful title. 
And I want to explain it in two ways. Firstly, we, we mentioned there's a disconnection in the world that needs to be reconnected. Now, Jesus is that reconnection. We need to be back with God. He is called the Prince of Peace because he was literally the peace offering that God sent to die and pay for our sins. The famous verse in, in John chapter 3, verse 16 says, you know, For God loved the world so much that he gave his only Son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know, our sins carry a debt, and this debt needs to be repaid in order for us to experience that peace again with God one day in heaven. You know, Jesus was the one who had to die and pay for our sins. So that's the first reason why this Prince of Peace title is so powerful. Now, the second reason is Jesus is called the Prince of Peace because no, not only is he the peace offering between us and God, Jesus offers peace to us actually right now, you know, in this very moment. Even when we are still stuck or living in this broken world. Now, Jesus offers this peace to us as a gift and as a blessing to those who accept him. Um, in John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So Jesus is the Prince of Peace, not only to satisfy our debt that we need to, so we can experience peace again with God. But he's also the Prince of Peace right now for us. So that's sort of part one. Now part two, you know, since Jesus' Jesus's peace is available to us right now, how do we actually attain and obtain this, this peace that the Bible speaks of? And here is where I want to spend um, the rest of our time this morning on. I want to turn to the book of Philippians, um, chapter 4, verses 47. It may be very familiar to a lot of you. Um, if you have your Bible with you, please feel free to open up to the page. If not, um, we have it on the screen here. So let me read it for us. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. So the book of Philippians was written by a man called Apostle Paul. And he was writing it to the church of Philippi. The church of Philippi, if you would know, uh, was one of the earliest churches that Paul established um, what we know today as the modern Greece. This letter was particularly affectionate, and it showed, you know, the, um, the closeness of Apostle Paul to the church of Philippi. Paul wanted to encourage the church of Philippi to live out their faith in joy and unity. So looking at the passage, right, let's look at the passage a little bit closely. So we notice straight away how Paul has placed a tension between anxiousness and the peace of God. Now Paul is saying, to have the peace of God, you must rid yourself of anxiousness 
So how do we do that? Now, Paul mentions a couple of points here, but I just want to focus on two this morning. And they are, and hopefully they're on the screen. Yes, okay. So the first one is rejoice in the Lord always. And the second one is present your request to God. So let's talk about the first one. Rejoice in the Lord always. When Paul wrote in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say again, rejoice. He didn't write, rejoice in our lives always, rejoice. Or he didn't write, rejoice in our circumstances always, rejoice. He specifically wrote these words, in the Lord always. Now this week, something, um, something came up very unexpectedly in our family. Um, I won't talk about the details here, but I can share a little bit about how I felt. Um, you know, what started as a very normal day, just like any other day, you know, doing my roles and responsibilities, um, turned very quickly, and all of a sudden, I was, um, I was at a loss. And for me, it, it felt like it went from zero to minus 100 in, in, in a matter of minutes. And my emotions were all over the place. My thoughts were all over the place. I don't think I've ever felt so much fear, uncertainty, and a sense of helplessness in um, my 33 years of life so far in the moment. So I was reading this first. I was preparing for this sermon. And when I got to this first, it was, it was very difficult for me to fully believe in it. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say again, rejoice. Now, I will say to God, I know this life has burdens because your word says so in, um, in Psalm 55. Cast your burdens on the Lord. But I was saying to God, God, of all things that, that I may have some control over, at least in my mind, why this, you know, why is this something that I have no control over? You know, I know what I'm sharing right now with you is not unique to me um, because I know there may be very well similar stories for you guys out there. I know the burden is real. The burden is heavy and is happening right now. So how are we supposed to rejoice in the Lord when things get really tough? How? Now, as you may know, Paul, when Apostle Paul was writing this letter, he was in prison in Rome, facing probably the biggest uncertainty in his life, and that is not knowing whether he'll be persecuted or executed or not. But yet, you know, despite his circumstances, he wrote about joy so much more in this letter, this book of Philippians, than any other of his letters. I mean, there must be something here, if that's what Paul is so convicted about. So as seen in Paul's life, the way to rejoice in the Lord always is not to look at ourselves or our circumstances, but to cast our focus back to God. And I believe, right, I believe this is done by two ways. Rejoicing in who God is and rejoicing in what God is doing in your life. So rejoicing who God is. Now, we can rejoice in God, in who God is, by rejoicing God's greatness, 
You know, he's the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. You know, our God is the king of kings, and our God is the Lord of lords. And that means he has absolute authority over everything, everything in this world, every single thing. So rejoice in God's greatness. We can also rejoice in who God is by rejoicing in God's grace and love. Not only is his power and might un, unmatched, he is also a loving father who loves us so much that he gave his only son for us. So we can rejoice in who God is by rejoicing in God's love and, and grace. And the third thing is, we can rejoice in who God is by rejoicing in God's consistency, in that he is the same yesterday, today, forever, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. He is a God that never changes. He's faithful, and he's completely trustworthy. So that's rejoicing in who God is, right? Now let's go to the second one. Rejoicing is rejoicing in what God is doing. I want to share this verse with you. Um, it is also in the book of Philippians, um, but it's in chapter 1, verse 6. So Apostle, Apostle Paul says, and I'm sure of this, that he, the he meaning God, who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, who has, who has bought and assembled IKEA furnishes here before? Anyone? Raise of hands. I actually expected more, but anyway. <laughs> um, Ali and I, we have assembled quite a few recently. And, and as all self-assembly goes, there are a lot of parts, you know, big parts, small parts, especially bolts and nuts, you know. But you usually have an instruction booklet to guide you how to assemble it each step of the way. But sometimes, can I ask you this, right? But sometimes, don't we feel like we may have and can see the pieces in our lives, but we don't know exactly how to do it how to go about it, because we don't have a menu. We may not be privy to a menu. And sometimes we don't really understand what is going on. Why do certain things happen in certain ways? And where and how do all these pieces in our life actually fit together? Like we don't know where we're going. We don't know where we'll be. Or, or sometimes our lives are so shattered in pieces that we feel we are beyond God's reach, we're beyond God's hands. But can I, can I just reaffirm and say this? God has not lost a single piece in your life. He has always had all the pieces in His hands. Every piece that is with Him has a specific purpose. We may not always be aware of what he's doing, but as Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, God began a good work in you, and he will finish it. This is a promise. He will finish it. In the exact way, in the exact order that he has always planned to. So I hope you actually believe in this. Is Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. So let us make a choice today to rejoice in the Lord always 
by rejoicing in who God is and by rejoicing in what God is doing in our lives because He is faithful and He is trustworthy. Now to my last and final point, present your request to God. So verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So I, I come from a family of five. Um, I'm the youngest out of the five. So most of my older siblings um, are married with kids. I have seven nephews and nieces in total. It's quite a lot, quite a lot, which is why buying gifts for Christmas is quite a tough task. Yeah. But one of my nephews, um, he used to be very terrified of thunderstorms, especially at night when he was a bit younger. So whenever a, a big thunderstorm hit, he would be woken up by the thunderstorm and then started crying. The first thing he would do is look for his parents, and when he found them, he would ask them to lie with them until he falls asleep again. Now, even though the thunderstorm was still raging outside, and nothing may have changed just because the parents came into the bedroom, my nephew would be able to fall back to sleep because he knew his mom and dad were there. My nephew was comforted by the presence of his parents. So in this verse, in, in verse 6, we are taught in every situation to pray. Now, praying is a way we talk to God, we tell God what is in our hearts, and we tell God what is troubling our minds. Now, we are taught by Paul here to pray in every situation. Now, because the battle against anxiousness for us starts in our hearts, in our minds, for us. And I want to emphasize this for us. And the reason is because prayer and speaking with God isn't so much about, isn't so much for God's benefit, you know, for Him to know what is going on in our lives. You know, when something hit us and we pray to God to say, Lord, we are concerned, we are worried. I don't think God has ever said in, his, in, in the whole eternity, oh no, thanks for letting me know. Oh man, I, I don't know what to do. Uh, what am I going to do now? I don't think God has ever said that in his whole eternity. You know, God has never been surprised at anything. Even though it, it may be a conversation to share what went through to your day, in your day, or when we pray with supplication as first success, right? Supplication means to ask something of him earnestly or humbly, similar to the posture of sort of begging for him. So Matthew 6, 8 says, your heavenly father knows what you need before you ask him. So, so if he does, if God knows what we are going to ask him before we actually ask him, what is prayer for? You know, instead, prayer is to help us maintain a posture of humility and vulnerability by admitting that we are not in control, but God, you are. We do not know what is going on, but God, you do. And we pray that God, you will guide us, you will help us to navigate through this. Now, 
it is in this place of vulnerability and, and humility that we entered into an utter upward dependence on God. It's a bit of a mouthful. I'll say it again. Utter upward dependence on God. So an utter upward dependence on God, right? What does it look like? So it looks like something like my nephew and his parents. My nephew calling out to his mom and dad when he was scared didn't necessarily change the thunderstorm that was happening, that was raging outside. It didn't stop the thunderstorm. But when his mom and dad came into the room and slept with him, he was comforted by the presence of his parents because he trusts that he's safe with his parents, right? So in the same way, right, in the same way, when we pray to God to tell him what is going on in our lives, our worries, our future plans, of course God listens and may answer the way that we want our prayers to be answered. But, you know, in God's sovereignty, maybe not. But, but even if not, even if the thunderstorm is still raging on in our lives, we are comforted by the presence of God because we trust God that we are safe with Him. You know, after all, anxiousness, isn't anxiousness almost always a result of distrust? So, to quickly sum up this second point that, I want to, that I'm talking about now, um, the last thing that Paul talks about, and I think it's very important, he talks about thanksgiving. Sometimes we are so fixated on the things that we don't have that we often forget the things we do have. I mean, it's a human condition, unfortunately. Now, Paul, Paul is saying, guys, don't forget the things you do have and give thanks. Now, I don't think, I don't think thanksgiving should be or is just an add-on to our prayer um, at the end of our prayer when we remember. It's like, oh, Lord, I ask you for this, but also, thank you. Or, by the way, thank you. I don't think it's like that. I think it's a key ingredient in our prayer. It's, it's a bit silly to think prayer can be done without thanksgiving. So me, prayer without thanksgiving is like, imagine eating two-minute noodles without the MSG. Right. Eating two-minute noodles without the MSG. Or, or drinking bubble tea without tapioca, the bubbles. Or eating anything, and this is probably for me personally, eating anything without ketchup. Now, for those that know me, um, I'm a huge ketchup fan. Um, not for everything, obviously, but most things in life, I, I do love ketchup with some of my food. But you know what I mean, right? It just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense to pray without thanksgiving. Whereas praying, whereas asking in our prayer, which is supplication, helps us enter into an utter dependence on God. Thanksgiving in our prayer, on the other hand, reminds us of how good our God has always been. You need both to help us not be anxious in order to trust God. You need both. Not just pray and ask, but thanksgiving. Because the virtue of giving thanks is you remembering what God has done in your life. So thanksgiving is not just an add-on. It's a key ingredient in prayer. And I'll end with this. That Jesus is our Prince of Peace. 
He is the peace that we seek. The peace of God that Paul speaks of in Philippians chapter 4, verses 47, you know, it describes it as one that transcends all understanding. That means it is not logical. That means it does not make sense. You know, how can or how does it make sense that Paul can have peace or had peace when he was on a death row? It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. The peace of God comes from God only. It is supernatural. Now, there is very little that we can ever explain it, but we don't need to. All we need to do is trust in God, and the peace of God will be in us. Amen. Let's pray.